Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You're now listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. Today's guest is a men's grooming expert and was the master barber for a very high-profile TV show based in his town. If the name Childish Gambino is familiar to you, you'll love this guest. Here we go. This is Leslie Eiler Thompson, here to introduce you to yet another rogue for us to learn from, to hear success stories, failure stories, and stories of opportunity to encourage us to keep going. Today's guest and I go pretty far back. We met growing up in the frigid cold of Freeport, Illinois as high schoolers, and he is now in Atlanta living an entrepreneurial life as a men's grooming specialist, educator, and barber. He just wrapped filming Atlanta season two as the master barber for the cast and is active in business education for his fellow barbers and self-starters. Israel Wright grew up in an entrepreneurial family. His aunt teaches cosmetology school and has shops in our hometown. His mom did nails and now designs celebrity cakes in Atlanta. And his cousin had her own nail salon at age 12. So Izzy grew up in shops and salons all his life, and until he put it all together, he didn't realize he had a future in cutting hair. Today, we talk business practices, providing clients with a top-notch experience, and making the most of relationships that have been graciously put in your path. Enjoy. Explain to me, Master Barber, is that a... Is that like a distinction? Is the mm, It's a loose term. Anybody who graduates from barber school and passes the test successfully has the opportunity to be deemed as the master barber. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, there are, you know, a, a lot of not only stipulations, but there are a lot of different things that come with actually embracing that term. Like that's why I've used the term uh, grooming specialist, men's grooming specialist. When you graduated from um, hair school in 2014, mm-hmm. what was next for you after that? I was working in a shop while I was in school finishing, uh, which was yeah. risky. Yeah, it was definitely risky because you, know, <laughs> you have to have your license. But, you know, they they really were like, listen, we know you're at, because I think I was at, I might've had like a couple hundred hours left. So that might've been like two or three months for me to finish. But they're like, listen, if you just show us that you're going to continue to go to school and you do whatever, then, you know, we'll let you work here. And, you know, something happens and we get a fine Hey, you got to pay it. But, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I get right. it. I get it. Right. But I mean, that was a great stepping stone for me because it, it just gave me um, a great platform to like really 
project my career. Like it gave me, I, I built a great foundation as far as a the clientele there. Um, I saw what it took to make six figures. I saw mm. what it took to like be the first one there, last one to leave. Like I saw what it took mm. to be in an environment where it was sometimes, you know, uncomfortable, but other times it was like, that was my safe haven. So mm. like, I really could, I took a lot from that, you know, and me now working in a suite, it was like, I do miss it from time to time, but you know, I appreciate that, that opportunity that I had working there. So them, you know, helping me graduate, helping me with my state board, pass that. Mm. Then after school, I think I was just so relieved, like, okay, I got my license now. Right, I'm sure. Yeah, like, okay, I don't know what the next step is, but I know, like, it's limitless. My options were just so open, so I started doing, uh, going to more seminars, going to more classes, more shows, more expos, traveling the country more. Um, what um, shows and expos, uh, man, what yeah. kind of shows, like hair shows and expos? Yeah, or? yeah. So, they, so just like just like any industry, there's, you know, expos, there are pretty much like conferences um, where barbers from around the country just come. And whether it's educational or it's um, like demonstration or competition where it might be like doing the fastest haircut, it's changing more into like uh, pushing education instead of the practical services. It's more like, you know, business education, because believe it or not, I mean, that's, that's a very important part of our business that we never really learn about or a part of our profession that we don't really learn about in school. You um, mean the actual, here's yeah, how you run yeah, a business? Yeah, the actual business part. Yeah. So they teach you, they give you, they literally give you a profession in which you can, you know, earn six figures. Uh, yeah. Fairly like, like that's realistic. It's very realistic for you to be able to do that, but they don't tell you, okay, well, this money needs to be allocated towards insurance. Right. This money needs to be allocated towards retirement. This yes. needs to be, you know, so it's like they give you a great hustle, but the business part is like something that you have to obtain yourself. And some people just mm-hmm. rather just hustle their way through it because, you know, it's a lot less stress in their mind. It's a lot easier, you know, less paperwork, whatever. But, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you know, operating under the table, under the radar forever when it comes time to you being legit and actually trying to, you know, go to new levels in your profession because that's right. going to come up. They're going to need bank statements. They're going to need, you know, paperwork mm-hmm. that show, okay, you make how much? Okay, well, yeah, you can get this loan for this to open up a second location. And is that something that you saw the importance of because of your mom's shop and because of all of the family members that you had that that were running their own thing? Definitely, definitely. They put the fire under me just to like do things the right way the first time. I like a lot of the freelance mindset, but there is a difference in freelance is just kind of like whenever, whatever, um, even if it is within an industry or within um, an area of expertise. But business mindset is a thing I'm going to make into a thing for longevity purposes. And whether that end goal is to sell a business or not, I mean, was that something that you even looked, did did you even have that idea going into, yeah, that blows my mind. Yeah. And I think- I think now that business, I would say these are air quotes, business people are having their say-so on entrepreneurship. Now they're saying, okay, well, you need to prep your business to be, because it is a step that entrepreneurs miss. Like entrepreneurs do miss like a lot of the quote unquote industry standards or the way that things are supposed to go before you become a legitimate business. So like, I know people talk about, okay, what's your escape? plan or like, okay, when you, when it's time for your business to be set up or be sold, um, you know, 
what percentage are you going to get? And I, you know, I think that stuff comes in time, but it's really about building your, you know, building your brand to the point where people actually want to buy it. And then let's have that conversation. And I, I, I just literally recently, I think a couple of days ago, had a, um, a conversation with one of my clients who is a, a sports agent mm-hmm. and um, it's, he's an NFL sports agent and he, his business right now is net worth at $47 million. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and he's a full, full blown entrepreneur, um, ex, ex athlete, ex, uh, um, professional athlete, baseball and football. But he's like one of the first black owned, um, sports agencies in Atlanta. We got an offer of, okay, Hey, well now I can offer X amount of dollars. I won't even say exactly how much, but it's more than that $47 million. And he was like seriously considering it to the point where he's like, Hey, <laughs> if somebody wants to buy it, you know, this is what I work for. You can never sell yourself short and obviously never say never because you never know where your brand or where your business can go just based off of, you know, the work that you put in. It's going to pay off eventually, but how much is it going to pay off? Where did you learn? Because as I follow you on Instagram and as I listen to you talk, you, you have such a great concept of brand building and um, brand awareness. Where did you where did you learn this? I mean, did you just pick it up along the way? I mean, when I went to school, I definitely, uh, my, my focus was business and marketing. Some of it I remember. Um, the rest of it is just case studies. Like I do a lot of case studies and I just kind of study other businesses and, hmm. you know, whether it's me watching YouTube videos or me literally just going into a place of business and just looking at the things that like make sense. Like how, okay, this person does this. Trying to connect the dots with my industry because it's, for whatever reason, it's very disconnected from business. It's hustle mentality for the most part. For most of us, I I would say, you know, a large percentage, unfortunately, but um, just trying to make it like realistic for people to see like, you know, you're a business and this is how other businesses operate. And this is why they operate like this because it's, you know, it works like it, it, they do it like that for a reason. Um, and I definitely brand awareness and just, you know, understanding, you know, positioning and and brand placement and just where I want or how I want people to view my business is, you know, it has to be conducted a certain way. I can't be doing everything that other people are doing just because it looks cool or it's fun or it's for the gram. Like I have to be intentional about it. Uh, something that I love to talk about on this podcast because of, um, just the way that um, self-starters are is failure um, Mm -hmm. and exploring the idea of failure. And I think a lot of people are afraid of it, but um, I would assume you know that failure is a great thing um, because it teaches you a lot. What are some, what are some times that along the way um, you've experienced failure and, and what did you learn from that? What did it allow you to accomplish after you've come through it? Yeah. I mean, that's a great point that you made just about, you know, how failure is actually a great thing. Um, you know, when you're testing your limits and you're trying new things and stepping outside of that comfort zone, as cliche as it sounds, like, you know, it's it's imperative that you fail. Like, you have to. to you know, there's no other way that you're going to really learn. I mean, I learn mm-hmm. from other people's mistakes, but it's nothing like learning from your own situations, your own experiences, because they hold a lot more value to you, you know, because you could tell me, hey, don't right. don't touch that stove because it's going to burn your hand. But I don't know what it felt like right. you know, to, for my hand to really be burned. So I don't have to touch it. And I could take your word for it. But me doing it lets me know, like, I'll, OK, I'm never doing that again because I know what's you know, I know what's going to happen. But, you know, in entrepreneurship, that is a vital part of, of 
you know, your growth is you just messing up, you figuring out like what does and doesn't work. I always say like you have to buy into like sucking. You have to buy mm. into like being the worst person at whatever you do. You got to, you know, buy into being the dumbest person in the room because, mm-hmm. you know, you have great opportunity being transparent and vulnerable. Like that mm-hmm. helps you like become mm-hmm. who you know, who you can, who you really want to be. Like you, you can't go in thinking that you know everything or trying to be perfect because th- that's when you're going to mess up. And at that point, you know, you might not learn from that lesson trying to be perfect. If nothing else you learn, don't try to be perfect because it's impossible. Yeah. Uh, there was something really interesting that my husband told me about. Um, and then I later found a graphic graph for it, but it's um, Mount, Mount Stupid. It's like when you <laughs> think oh, I know all these things. Suddenly you start to learn more and more about those things and you realize I know nothing at all and you fall straight down the mountain. You start from the beginning. (laughs) It is so true. And then of course that success graph that we always share all the time where it's like people think success looks like this. Right. Yeah. But it's a big old squiggly squiggly. So what are some examples of, because I I do like this idea of streamlining what it is that Mm -hmm. you do. In fact, every six months I have a little retreat with myself and I kind of write down all the things that I did over the last six months. Mm -hmm. What did I love? What didn't I like? What was I good at? What wasn't I good at? And each time more stuff gets crossed off, not going to offer this anymore, not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. What is that for you? What is your, what is your specialty in your field and how, is that a special thing to you that you've come across or was it very um, systematic how you came across it? That's funny that you say that. It's just about, you know, pretty, I call it self auditing, but Mm. it's the exact same thing, like a self audit. But Mm. I try to do that on a consistent basis too. Even it might not even be six months. I might give myself two, three weeks. Like, listen, (laughs) this (laughs) This didn't work. What do I need to do? What follow-up calls? What emails do I need to send out? Who do I need to Mm. reach out to? I'm trying to do the best that I can as far as like laying the foundation for what I would want my employees to to do without me. Watching your um, Instagram, there are all sorts of, um, uh, the thing that came to mind was doodads. That's a stupid word for it. But you have all of those incredible, like, <laughs> I don't know, where is my brain today? Doodads. That's a very professional thing to say. That's fine because I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, um, like the steaming, there's a lot of like steaming tools that you mm-hmm. use for people's faces, right? And so it seems to me you are, you are curating an experience for your guests and your clients, which is very different from just come to Great Clips and get your hair kind of cut. That was something that I prided myself on because mm. I offer so many other services. Master barber is fine, but grooming is different than barbering because it's, it's got Tell a, me about that. Yeah. So it has a different mindset. It's a, um, it's way more acquired. It's way more intentional. It's way more like mm. detailed because mm. now you're addressing specific needs of each individual client. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a little bit longer, maybe 45 minutes to an hour. However, the price point is higher. You know, mm-hmm. the actual delivery is better. The The experience is different. So I can make, you know, in that same hour that you might make, okay, $40, $50 if somebody was just, you know, cutting hair for 25 or 30 bucks, I can make $100 in that same hour mm. with, one, with one client offering just the full experience. So I can make 100 bucks an hour easily creating the experience, like creating a different type of experience that people felt like. Every five, like the five senses were touched by you coming. Mm. The first time I understood the importance of experience was when I went to Disney for the first time at age Oh, that's great. That's great. I I, I use that as an example all the time. Do you really? I always do, yes. I would love to hear you talk about it because I, <laughs> I'm, it, I'm sure if you use it all the time, 
I'm sure you're much more eloquent about it than I am. Uh, but I <laughs> no, just I, I do. I, I want to hear. Yeah, I want to hear what you said because well, so I, it, it might help me out too. It, well, so 24 years old, I we never ever went to Disney growing up. I happened to be down there for a work trip. I was going to have a day and I, first of all, cried the whole time. I mean, I was there two hours early and so I rode the monorail for two hours. Um, I was just so excited and I got my silly little ears and I stood and I watched the, the beautiful show that they have where the characters come in on the train and they sing at you. Mm-hmm. And just in my head, I thought, I never thought I'd get to come here. I never thought I'd get, I'm, I get misty thinking about it now. And, <laughs> but you walk in and you hear all these stories about how Walt Disney watched how many paces someone would walk before mm-hmm. they threw their trash on the ground. And he it was 30. So you don't walk 30 paces without a trash can being near you. Right. Um, and the people and what they said to you and the, People were so sold, sold out to what they were doing. We're not going to pretend like this is something it's not. This is it's a not regular experience. Yeah, it's this not. is a normal. Yeah, yeah. So what do you, what what is your takeaway from the Disney? I, I mean, I I feel the exact same way. Like with the exclusive experience, you know, I, and that's what I call it. But, you know, that's what I call my, um, my suite right now. So with the Disney, um, I just, as far as like price point, like you, Everything that you named had nothing to do with price. You didn't talk about how much it cost. Mm. You didn't talk about, you know, you were talking about the the other things that made more sense to you. Right. And, um, you know, me looking at it from both sides, from both ends, like as a consumer and as a producer, I wanted to make the most sense for both of us. So mm. when Walt Disney said, okay, this, if I spend $12 on this garbage can, that's fine because it's going to save me X amount of dollars from, you know, people actually having to come and pick the garbage up, whatever, right. whatever the case may be. Um, but that experience, because it all has to make sense. People pay attention to stuff, especially when it comes to higher priced things. So, right. you know, I put myself in an environment where I was like, I can control it as much as possible mm. from uh, sanitation to the, the layout, to the decor, to mm. any of the extra things that I have from, you know, water uh, adult drinks to mm. granola bars, mints, just th- cigars, mm-hmm. things that, you know, would add to the experience to make people like, okay, well, this makes sense. Even if I am right. paying $100 an hour or $100 for the service, cool, I'm fine with that because, you know, I know I see him investing into, you know, the full experience for it to really make sense. You know? So do you own your own shop at this point or what is your current um... I'm a suite owner right now you know when you're in bigger settings with more people sometimes it gets you know a little loose but some people like that one-on-one attention because it really gives them a different experience that you know they're not used to so you know I have my times where I'm like man being in the shop wouldn't be bad but I've, I've gained a lot of information and like had a lot of different kind of conversations with my clients that I probably wouldn't have in an open setting just because there's so many ears, so many eyes, so many comments that could be made, yeah. you know, it sometimes right. gets, yeah, sometimes it gets a little loose. So you said the example of your client who is the uh, sports agent. Mm-hmm. Is that the type of clientele that you're seeing all the time? People who are very entrepreneurial at the top of their game. I would imagine if it is, you're getting a lot of information and knowledge yeah. just by talking to them bingo yeah so mm. i mean that that that's something and i know we'll get into it later but with the book you know that's that was kind of the premise of the book like me yeah. being able to have those conversations with people and finding that silver lining between like okay well you're a, a 
Fortune 500 company and I'm a year four entrepreneur, you know, what are my similarities? What are the differences? What are the, and, you know, going back to him, as he said, you know, one of the chapters he actually used as the topic of conversation for one of his meetings really out of the book. Yeah. So wow. it was trust. Well, yeah. Let's talk about the book then for a second. Cause that is absolutely one of the things I wanted to talk about. So uh, entrepreneur, what I wish I would have told me is locking into the 12 key intangibles of entrepreneurship. So, you know, with intangible is these are things that you, you know, can't touch, can't feel, you can feel them, but you can't touch them. They're not, you know, uh, really on the physical side, but you actually have them already. Or you can obtain them without anybody giving you like the okay to do so. So what I did was I broke down uh, the word entrepreneur into an acronym. So for Mm. each letter of the word entrepreneur, I gave an intangible word that I felt was like either underused or um, maybe underappreciated that people didn't even pay attention to. It's like, well, you you can be an entrepreneur, but these are the things if you focus on these things, you'll reveal a business that you didn't even really know that you had e is energy n is networking t is trust r is resourcefulness e the other e is experience uh chapter six is p and passion r relationships uh chapter eight is education chapter nine negativity uh chapter 10 everybody enable mm. chapter 11 uh, unapologetic and chapter 12 respect how long had you been working on this? Like I said, it, it, it literally came over conversations that I, I can't remember exactly who it was. It was either Tony Robbins. Is Tony a client of yours? No, I wish Tony Robbins oh. was a client of mine. I wish Tony Robbins was a client of mine. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> no, so it was between either him, Les Brown, and uh, E.T., E.T. Hip Hop Preacher. And okay. between those three, like those were when I started getting into pushing positivity and kind of just embracing mindset and what it really was about, especially yeah. in business. I started listening to them a lot more. And this one word, intentional, like hmm. it, it stuck out like a thorn. I was just like, you know, intentional, intentional, intentional. I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. But like really being intentional. And then when I started doing it, I was like, whoa, like the results mm-hmm. I'm getting are like way different. So I was having intentional conversations with my clients, just asking them about specific things, whether it was, you know, literally from each chapter of the book, whether it was relationships, whether it was, you know, it was personal experiences. And again, because I deal with the the person that has a $47 million company and I deal with the person that might've, you know, just landed their first job out of college, you know, that's been in college for six, seven years, just got their master's degree. And they're trying to figure out how can I put this together and actually, you know, make money? Right. Um, and I've, I've just kind of closed that gap with being that person like, okay, I, I know the person that actually is doing this right now that's trying right. to get where you are. And then I also know the person that's struggling, but like there's things that they're missing out on. So I was that middle piece. I was that centerpiece. So I was able to pretty much tell the person, you know, that's in college, okay, this is something that you need to do. And also I was able to tell the person that was $47 million, like, listen, I understand what you got going on, but don't jump over these things or don't, you know, forget about these things because you might be looking too hard when these things are right in front of you. So one of your recent projects, you were the head barber for uh, season two of the show Atlanta. How, how did, how? (laughs) Well, (laughs) what was that path? What an incredible experience. 
Yeah, definitely. It was a um, it was a referral from a close okay. friend, um, somebody I definitely consider like a brother to me uh, mm. from out here. And he his mother actually was the mentor for the department head. He was working on a, on a film at the time and he you know, was like, listen, I got a great opportunity for you if you can do it definitely take advantage of it. It's Atlanta. And I had already watched Atlanta season one. Like I was an active watcher. So, you know, me, you know, I'm like, man, yeah, I definitely want to do that. So, you know, I made it work. And and the thing about it is, I mean, life is just crazy. Life is, life is so wonderful. it's, It's wonderful, but it's just like, whenever you think, and this is just a word of encouragement, like whenever you think like, I can't do anymore, like think about how many times you said like, I can't do anymore. Like I literally was in a position where I was moving. Mm. I was working the film. Like, and mind you, call times might be like four in the morning, yeah. three in the morning. Um, I was figuring out where I wanted to work because my lease had ended at my suite that I was at previously. So I was working from home. I, in- I had an in-home suite that I had built and I was working from there. And uh, like I said, I was moving. So it was like three different things just like things that needed my full attention that I was making happen. And uh, it was a lot, but, you know, got through it, you know, and uh, made it work. And then to see where Atlanta went in the second season for them to, you know, be on the third season, mm-hmm. you know, definitely hope I'm a part of that, you know, cause you never know things happen, yeah. but, you know, just to be a part of season two was amazing. To be around some elite people that are literally killing it in their industry from yeah. uh, Donald Glover to Lakeith oh Stanfield to Brian T. Henry, Zazie Beats. Like, I was around Cat Williams. I was around Mike Vick. I was around, like, people that were, like, literally, like, top tier in their industry. It's just, like, it's it's dope to be able to enter. And, again, I had the same experience as I had when I was writing the book with People sitting in my chair, me having those conversations. I get the stuff that a lot of people don't get to hear. And I saw a lot of people's transparency, especially with the, the main cast. I got to see them on a consistent basis. So I was like, wow. Yeah, so you were literally the dude for all the of The head that. barber. Oh, my yes. goodness. That was wow. the head barber. Now, I I mean, on I did have the opportunity uh, to cut Donald Glover one time as far as like his beard. But other than that, that was my my hair and makeup team. You know. So it was really collaborative. Like oh, there were a whole so bunch of y'all working together. Oh my God. Yes. It was so collaborative. It, it took a lot of parts for that to, to actually come to life. And it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Like being around Donald, so cool. being around the key. What's he like in real life? He's exactly how you would think he is. Like is based off of what you see. Yeah. He's so yeah. chill. He's so yeah. cool. Like you wouldn't know it was his show. He doesn't, he's mm-hmm. not, Oh no, this is my show. Like it's nothing like that. Like he's really chill. He just literally just got security this, this season. He went to, uh, they had a mall scene. It was one of the episodes. I think it was like episode three or four, maybe Okay. when they went to a mall and, um, people actually started like recognizing him. Yeah. And asking for autographs mm-hmm. and asking for pictures. Uh, and then it got like a little, you know, out of hand. It was like, oh, shoot. Like, uh, yeah. Hey. So he ended up getting yeah. security. Are you um, in, and you're speaking and you're kind of you're traveling the world because what Labor Day you're going to not Labor Day. Haiti. Yes, Labor Day. Yeah. yeah Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I am. So where did that um, desire for education and for actively going out and speaking and educating people 
Where did that come from, do you think? Well, my grandfather was a pastor. Mm. My father is an elder. And um, I think just just that that speaking, you know, it was, you know, being raised in the church, it was obviously pro- prophesied before mm. I even knew what they were talking about. Like, oh, yeah, you're going to be a preacher or you're going to be a speaker or whatever. Mm. So. Well, it doesn't, I, I will say, knowing you from right. a young age, it's not at all surprising, by the way. I mean, you were always the one that had the most charisma. <laughs> and everybody loved Izzy. And mm. I don't know if you still go by Izzy, but of course, yeah. that's how I know. <laughs> Good, this has been so fun. Thank you for yeah, definitely. chatting with me. If you want constant encouragement on your rogue entrepreneurial journey, find Israel on Instagram and be sure to check out his book, which is an incredibly helpful look at the entrepreneurial lifestyle with some really practical ways to move forward on your dreams. If you liked this episode, check out my conversation with Monica Padman. She's the co-host of the wildly popular Armchair Expert podcast with Dax Shepard and creative partner to Kristen Bell. You can follow along with all things Rogue Ones Podcast and find all the episodes at RogueOnesPodcast.com or on Instagram at RogueOnesPodcast. And hey, you can follow along with me on Instagram at Leslie Eiler Thompson. That's all for today, my Rogue friends. And as always, thank you, Ryan Swinehart of Sick Island Studios here in Nashville for making the audio sound fabulous. Have a good one, and we'll talk soon.